0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. slash Only at Sleep Number Stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Oficial.
0: Marca Mesut Özil. Pasó Gunduzi, Pepe. extra. Hello and welcome to another Arse Cast Extra. As always with James from Gonna Blog James. Goodly morning. Goodly morning. How we won. We won. We won
1: again. Yeah. We won again and they can't take that away from us. Nope. At the end of the day, the scoreline suggested that Arsenal won. Quite And con- I'm yeah. open to the powers of suggestion as far as that's concerned.
0: Okay. Well, look at that. That's what it is. It's a it's a it's a win. It's a Europa League win. Our third Europa League win on the bounce. Um it's an interesting game, I think to to try and analyze because obviously the the most standout thing is Nicola Pepe coming off the bench and banging into amazing free kicks. Mm-hmm. Um, I did like um the commentator on BT Sport who said, uh, Nicolas Pepe, he hasn't scored a goal from open play until now. And I'm thinking, do, do, mm, do, you, yeah. do you know what open play is? Are you 100% sure you know what open play is?
1: Yeah, I guess if it had been touched off to him, we could have counted it as open play. But uh, alas, that still eludes him. But yeah, I suppose that is definitely the standout feature of the match
0: yeah but there are other things and there are other uh, elements and aspects to the performance that that we will obviously touch on so wh- where do you want to start do you want to do you want to start with the good stuff and head into the bad or start with the bad stuff and and head into the good so we start like this and then by the end we've got everybody in a crescendo of positivity and us until such time as we talk about other stuff um,
1: no I, that's not <laughs> how I want to leave them I want to leave them sad I want to leave them on the floor I'm no, I, my my inclination would be to start with the good stuff particularly in the case of Pepe because I really feel like on Monday night it was kind of a very much a nearly night for him yes and for him to then sort of get his night so soon afterwards is great and I'm sure to him a, an enormous relief
0: absolutely well, you know you know what's been interesting we've heard like um since he arrived and obviously He hasn't hit the ground running, it would be fair to say. It's taken him some time to adapt. And and common sense tells you that that can happen with players. And we heard, you know, Burkamp took seven games to score. Thierry Henry didn't score until his ninth game. Robert Perez, his first season. Well, there's this myth about Robert Perez's first season being absolutely terrible. It's not. You know, he didn't have a terrible first season at Arsenal, but it would be fair to say that it took him some time to get going um, Mm. in his first year in English football. So, you know, by those standards, if players like that can take some time to get used to English football and get used to Arsenal, um, you know, Pepe should, of course, be granted. I mean, granted that kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for here, that kind of understanding. But we... the football world has kind of changed a bit since then and I don't mean just how the game is played but but the way we talk about the game because we talk about it all the time now all the time it's seven days a week and you know here we are doing a podcast and I write a blog every day of the week you know I'm not saying I'm not part of that but that is a factor right. and so when a guy arrives for £72 million and, you know, he, he struggles for form and he also misses a sitter in the last game and people people start asking questions and start saying, you know, have we, have we signed a dud here? And you're going, no, come on, like, just give it a bit of time. It felt like he needed something to just kickstart his Arsenal career. And I'm hopeful that what he did last night is exactly that.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's wrong to have concerns or doubts about how a player is settling in, especially given in the last few years we have signed certain players, you know, maybe from Liga or other leagues who haven't settled as anticipated and given what was paid for him. I think the encouraging thing with Pepe has always been the stats have always sort of borne him out. The stats have always kind of justified him. He's been involved in a lot for Arsenal, even if it hasn't resulted in the end product that we would like to see. Uh, And last night, you know, he was kind of all end product, really. I mean, two fantastic goals and the main thing is I think what that will do for his confidence you know that is a difficult mm. thing to quantify in numbers but he uh, he, he has looked a little bit um, he hasn't always looked like a star he hasn't always carried himself like a star and maybe last night there was that slight sense of him feeling like he's really arrived at Arsenal and at the Emirates Stadium And and I actually think you saw that in Sheffield as well, there was a bit of swagger to his play that is very welcome to see. And I, I think even after he scored the first free kick, you know, he he kind of went up a gear. And he, he probably doesn't score the second one if he doesn't score the first one kind of thing. His confidence was high at that point and he tucked it away the top corner. So they were great goals, particularly the second one. I yeah. thought that was a really outstanding
0: second group. one was superb. And, and let's not forget as well that he did create... Uh, a good chance for Rob Holding as well with a, a free kick delivery, which he headed yeah. at the keeper. The keeper made a save.
1: So let's see. The piece delivery was, in general, a lot better than it was on Monday when his yeah. corners were quite disappointing.
0: Mm. So the first one we have, Lucas Torreira. There's a conversation we might have in a couple of moments' time as to exactly how we're using Lucas Torreira. But, but there he is, bombing forward towards the opposition box, just where you want your um, most natural defensive midfielder, of mm. course. But that's a, a, a separate conversation. He gets hauled back. Free kick from a position where you know you're 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 uh, willing to have a go, but quite often you don't you don't uh, you don't see players score from there. I was slightly reminded of one that maybe was it Mesut Ozil scored against Liverpool a few years ago from somewhere. Oh, I don't maybe it was a bit answer. maybe it was a bit more central.
1: Um, uh, maybe yeah, I remember one. Yeah, no, yeah, uh, that's that rings. But it sort
0: of went into that side of the that side of the goal and he was helped I think by the goalkeeper he just as Pepe hit the ball took a step to the left because he thought he was going to go over the wall and mm. couldn't get back in time so I think he was slightly helped by um, by that but like I don't want to take anything away from it um, it was a big goal at a big time in the game he'd only been on the pitch four or five minutes um, replacing Lacazette so you know he was thrown on to, to make a difference and he did yeah,
1: I mean, it's one of those, you know, if you're being harsh on the goalkeeper, you say he, sh- he shouldn't be beaten on that side. But he yeah. still finds the side netting, essentially, from 30 yards. So it's a great strike regardless. And I think to a certain extent, he's gambling that the goalkeeper's going to make that move, you know, and, and they often do. So it comes off for him. Mm. And Yeah, it was a great moment. I mean, I, I have to say, my expectations weren't enormous when he was stood over that free kick. And when it when it hit the side of the net, I was absolutely
0: delighted for him Mm. so what were your thoughts when he was standing over the second free kick because (laughs) I had this really weird conviction that he was going to do basically exactly what he did with it Um, that's interesting
1: I, I kind of had the opposite thing of like well he's got one in this game it seems unlikely that you'll get another. Mm. In fact, there was a kind of stat during the rounds, wasn't there, about players who've scored two free kicks in European games and it was like Lionel Messi, Pelé and Jesus or something like that. I mean, it was a really uh, select list. Mm. And I just thought the chances of this finding the top corner are slim. So I admire your... Confidence in your conviction. I I
0: don't know what it was. It's just one of those things where you get a feeling you go, oh, this is going in. There's just, you know, it's set up for him because, you know, we'd we'd had, uh, we got the equaliser. We had the, there was a Martinelli chance as well, the keeper saved. Mm. There was a holding chance. And it just felt like there was momentum with us in, in the final stages of the game. I think we have to give a lot of credit to Matteo Genduzzi for his drive and his determination to to win that free kick in the first place. You know, his his um, willingness to run with the ball at the opposition in the final third is a, is a quality which... Um, Not too many of our players have, so credit to him for that. But I was looking at it going, yeah, I know exactly what he's going to do with this. And um, the fact that I knew what he was going to do didn't take anything away from the quality of what he did because it's absolutely picture perfect. I mean, I think there's some, you know, there's obviously a TV camera angle, but there were a lot of videos going around online last night, some fans, you know, recording from the far end of the stadium. And there isn't a goalkeeper in the world who's stopping that. Mm.
1: Yeah, it's a brilliant goal. I mean, Robin Van Persie was in the studio for BT and, you know, it was it was of that calibre, really, the strike with his left foot. And it's funny, looking back at his goals last season, I'm sure we've all watched the YouTube compilation. I don't remember free kicks being a, a major facet of his game. I certainly don't remember any from those goals compilations. I know he scored a lot of penalties for mm. Neil, but... You know, that's a, another another weapon in his arsenal that he has brought to the fore yesterday.
0: Yeah, and an interesting one because, you know, obviously uh, we've had players who've been sort of specialists with free kicks. Like, people would have put Van Persie as a kind of a free kick mm. specialist. And I think what it is more is that he scored some spectacular free kicks, so people expect him to do that on a more regular basis, whereas... You know, I don't think he was consistently a very good free uh, free kick taker, Van Persie. You know, a lot of them didn't do what we wanted them to do. Um, mm. Whether it's something Pepe can do on a regular basis, I don't know. I thought it was very interesting as well. Um, from Opta Orbino saying they don't have a record as you know in their database of an Arsenal player scoring two free kicks in one game. That's how rare that occurrence is. So for him to come on. With 15 minutes to go in a game in which we're trailing 2-1 and not playing well, to do that is extraordinary. And I mean it in the very literal sense of the word. It is extraordinary. I mean, we just don't see it. Yeah,
1: you probably won't see that again uh, for a long time. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's interesting because we have a few players who've scored free kicks. Aubameyang scored one the other day. I remember Lacazette scoring one uh, in Italy in the Europa League last season. Pepe scored a couple there. I, I wouldn't necessarily term any of them As specialists, but judging by what we saw last night, I mean Pepe's got to go to the front of the queue because they were two fantastic strikes.
0: Well, depending which side of the the goal um, you're at, you know, obviously there'll be some that suit uh, that suit a right-footed player more. Um, Do you think this is something that he will now kick on from? Uh, Because it must be, regardless of you know what Emery said, you know, Emery said before the game, you know, players need patience. Um, as one of the only things <laughs> that Unai Emery said this week that I agree with, but he was quite right when he talked about Pepe needing some patience and some time to adapt to to English football. Um, it must still be a little bit of a burden for the player himself. When you come in, you're not playing particularly well, even though I think there have been signs over the last few weeks that his form and his, his um, level of... Um, what's the word I'm going to use? Comfort, I guess, in the Arsenal team has been on the rise. Mm. Um, it must still be like you. You can't help but be aware that you've cost 72 million pounds. It's not your fault, of course, but you know the level of expectation that's there with you. You got you know hauled off against Sheffield United when we were looking for a goal. Um, he was sacrificed, and you know that was a, a strange decision. We talked about it on on Tuesday. But this this will probably ease some of that burden on him, I think.
1: Yeah, and I think actually when he reflects on this week, it, you know, it has been a very positive week. I still think that his contribution in open play, particularly in the first half against Sheffield United, was good and was positive. And the timing is good for Pepe too because it's Crystal Palace on Sunday. Mm. And, you know, Wilfred Zaha is likely to play that game. And it, the comparison between them... It's kind of inevitable, isn't it, after what happened this summer. So the fact that he can go into that match, which is an important match for Arsenal, kind of irrespective of anything else and irrespective of Pepe, with a bit of confidence behind him Mm. and a bit of momentum, is definitely a good thing. I uh, I think this will really help him kick on and I think that's really valuable. You know, we we look at this team and we look at the fullbacks coming in as something that could improve it or we look at Lacazette coming back from injury as something that might improve it. But Pepe hitting his stride, you know, a £72 million player sort of fulfilling his potential, I mean, that would be as helpful as anything else. So, fingers crossed, fingers crossed that this is something that he kicks on from.
0: Yeah, so a good...
1: A really good cameo for Pepe. And Gendouzi as well, I suppose, off the bench. You know, I agree, made a big difference.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. That's true. I was, yeah, I was looking at the the halftime substitutions. That's something I might talk to you about. I think I've got a question or two about that, um, which we might do in in the second part. It's a sort of um, an adjunct to those uh, halftime substitutions. Ceballos, yeah, busy I think, what did I say in the player ratings on, on blog News last night? He's he's busy, but kind of in the way that a, a blue bottle is when he's crashing up <laughs> against uh, a window trying to find a way out. It was a bit like that, yeah. but, you know. Yeah,
1: he's very able. I mean, he's very talented. That's not really in doubt, but... Uh, yeah. Like a like a lot of our midfielders, really, he sort of seems to be slightly struggling structurally, and I think you know yep. that's a, a big problem in this team.
0: Okay, let's talk about one of the other positives, and it's sort of overlooked a bit because of what Pepe did and how it overshadowed what he did, and I think the the, the way that the game panned out, the fact that you know we were behind, but I I, I want to talk about Gabrielle Martinelli, another goal mm-hmm. at the Emirates, another header, uh, Kieran Tierney with the uh, with the delivery and with the assist, but there's just so much to like about this guy and the way that he plays. Not just the fact that he's got end product, but I love the fact that he's willing to carry the ball. I love the fact that he he gives the opposition defenders no time whatsoever. I like that he chases them down. I like that he's not afraid to stick a shoulder in and knock a guy over as he did yesterday. You know, he he slid in quite early in the game and made a tackle. Maybe he might have got a yellow card from a different referee, but... Even late in the game when we were searching for something, he was often the guy who was trying to drive the team forward, which is a lot for an 18-year-old to take on their own shoulders. And I was really, really impressed with him. And I think he is somebody who is potentially pushing for um, Premier League football.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's certainly been outstanding in the Europa League campaign. I think that's five goals now. And, you know, in Brazil, we know he played men's football at 17. I think you can tell that. He doesn't feel like someone stepping up from academy level where it's a little bit too softly, softly. He he seems to really relish the physical aspects of the game. And his pressing from the front is brilliant. You know, Tim Stillman last night on Twitter compared him to Luis Suarez. And I think there is something of that to him. He's got a real hunger and ability to sort of almost draw defenders in and then close them down very quickly. I think one of the best compliments you can pay him is that the Arsenal defenders they talk about facing him in training and what a nightmare it is Rob yeah. Holding said as much last week and then I think last night Kieran Tierney said I love playing I love playing with Gabby I hate playing against him and that tells you really what a, what a pest he is for an opposition defence and I think at that age to be showing that responsibility to put be putting in that work you know and he steps up every time he scored another goal last night another good header I think the goalkeeper was a bit stranded it was a great delivery from, from Tierney but yeah, he is going really from strength to strength, and I must say, he switched into that centre forward role last night. I know he started in his his preferred position, really, on the left hand side. But I do see a, a centre forward in him. I I mm. think that he has every every quality you could really look for in in a modern centre forward. But you know, wherever he plays, he's a he's a really exciting prospect. And yeah, as a, you've got to tip your hat, I suppose, to the the transfer team. They appear to have got one right there. Yeah,
0: absolutely, absolutely. He is he is. Uh he's really good fun to watch as well um so, yeah, that that was uh, the other big positive on the night for me. I suppose aside from that, you know, there wasn't a great deal in the performance, and we might touch on some of the other bits now in a second, but if I'm looking at positives and if I'm looking at things that, that sort of um, give me a bit of hope, it's 90 minutes for Holding, 90 minutes for Bellerin, 90 minutes for uh, Kieran Tierney, 90 mm. minutes for Emile Smith-Rowe, uh, Alexandre Lacazette getting um, minutes under his belt. I don't think he was particularly good last night, and I, I didn't like his... Um, um, his his theatrics i didn't think that was yeah. good but i thought that sort of that's was in some ways um a sign of how desperate we were because we weren't playing well and it was well how the hell are we going to how the hell are we going to get something Lacazette from this game was
1: very wound up i thought almost almost from kickoff. actually
0: yeah like did he... you did you see the bit where i think the ball fell to martinelli inside the box and He was absolutely within his rights to have a shot. shot. And he had a shot and he dragged it wide. Lacazette went crazy at the back post as if he was unmarked and just waiting for a tap-in when there were defenders around him. I don't know how Martinelli could have got the ball to him realistically. Um, He did seem a bit tetchy, didn't he?
1: Yeah, he was wired. He was really wired from the start of the game. And maybe it's just because... He was back. I think he had a record this season of scoring in in both his starts that he'd made, and maybe he was you know desperate to maintain that and force his way into the team for Crystal Palace on Sunday. Uh, but it, things didn't quite come off for him. I, I didn't think he was quite as bad as some others did. I thought he had some. He he showed some moments that I think show what he can bring to the team. that yeah. Ability to hold the ball, and there was one turn uh, in the first half that was particularly great. Took him away from a couple of players, but you know he looked a bit rusty, and I think. I think he sensed maybe that goal wasn't going to come and that played into the frustration that led to him throwing his hand to his face and all that, which I agree was, you know, uh, unnecessary, really. There was uh, there was a, the slightest of touches, but nothing to make him react in the way that he did. No,
0: no. Um, right, so, I mean, so um, anything else that you would point out as a positive from um, the
1: night? Just trying to think. I mean, I suppose... Only that we came from behind. We did rally to win. And the strange thing about this Arsenal team is that they almost seem to be better in that circumstance when they're chasing. uh, Not at Sheffield United, granted, but if I think of the Spurs game, the Villa game, Mm. uh, and actually thinking back to last season, I think maybe it was the case in the, the win over Spurs in the North London derby. There's a sort of slightly odd quality to this team that when... When they're chasing it at home, it's, I don't know if it's that the, the handbrake comes off, to borrow a vengerism, but
0: it's sometimes when they're at their best. Um, yeah, look, I, I can see where you're coming from. I'm not sure that a guy doing something that's as rare as hen's teeth uh, you know, which is what Pepe did last night by scoring two free kicks, is is necessarily Arsenal at their best? I think we were a bit more dangerous in the in the last ten fifteen minutes, but you would expect that. You know, it's it's how you mm. weigh that up against the fact that you're two one down against a team like Victoria in the first place. You know, um, naturally you're going to have to go for it a bit, and naturally you're going to have to shake off some of the um, perhaps instructional conservatism that that this team. Um, plays with for the most part Um, but yeah look you know when you're behind and you come back to win you have to give the team credit and you can talk about character or you can talk about moments of individual quality I think which are, are a bit more relevant I think than than trying to touch on an intangible like like you, your mindset or your character or your you know mental strength and, and all that kind of stuff. What we got yesterday from Pepe was two superb moments of, of individual quality. What we got from Aubameyang in the Aston Villa game, Villa was, game a, yeah. was, was a great piece of individual quality. I can't remember, what was the second goal? What was the second equalizer in the Villa game?
1: I was there. And uh, I penalty, remember. was it? Was it Pepe's, oh, it was Pepe's penalty, penalty. yeah. And again, After that came Genduzzi from Gendouzi, yeah.
0: yeah. That run from Genduzzi. so uh, so that was it. Um, you know, again, yeah, I suppose
1: that's right. I suppose it's individual quality uh, kind of rising above a, a bit of a tactical mess, really.
0: Yeah, so we went 1-0 down very early. I don't think our defenders, Kieran Tierney in particular, covered themselves in glory with that one um- mm, yeah he was kind of <laughs> he was kind of at fault three times in the same goal
1: unfortunately for him he's kind of was beaten to the guy then didn't get back at him yeah. didn't make the block it, it, it was uh, uh, one of those where you think maybe that is a bit of sharpness missing yeah. from his game um, and that was the first goal Emmy Martinez has conceded I saw I think Charles Watts posted this on Twitter since uh, Stoke scored against him in 2014
0: John Walters if only he'd been in goal every game since then. Sorry, than- first
1: goal he's conceded at the Emirates Stadium for Arsenal. I must be clear. He's, I know. Played, he's played games on other, <laughs> elsewhere and conceded goals know, in the last I five know, years. I
0: know. Um, so look, we, we, we conceded that. Um, it felt sort of uh, strangely inevitable when the guys on, on TV said that the guy who scored was a former Tottenham Academy player. It was like, oh, of course. I know, course. yeah. Of course he is. What a, what a week we're having. But Martinelli then scored the equaliser and then Maitland-Niles, heavy touch in midfield. Um, look, I, it was a heavy touch, not great. It's hard to apportion too much blame on a young player or on any player when it's just a loose touch and they go on and do what what they did. You know, they hit the post and then tucked in the rebound. I mean, it wasn't great for Maitland-Niles, not defending, not defending that, but... You know, that's 2-1 mm. down to Vittoria. There were boos at halftime. There was clearly some unrest in the stadium. Um, and I suppose another thing that worried me was the fact that, that after we got it to 2-2, two, two, within 60 seconds, they had a shot which went just wide, which is really an un, unlikable. Is that what I'm going to say? Uh, yeah, I well, don't like we, it. We, we do it all the time under Unai Emery. We do it all the time where we score and we either let the opposition score or we give them a fucking great chance pretty much straight away. It happens way too often.
1: Yeah, and we were outshot in this game. I mean, I do think there's an interesting thing where <laughs> with Unai Emery I kind of feel like in every game it feels a bit like we overestimate the opposition uh, and I feel like this is a, quite a rare example of us slightly underestimating them I mean they were a bit better than I thought they were going to be and it looked like we didn't seem focused enough for, for my money like you know defensively there was a real lack of focus particularly in the midfield I thought mm. and that Maitland-Niles kind of slip was, was part of that but yeah it, it you know, they had 17 shots, is it? 17 shots in the game to our 15. So with
0: 32% possession.
1: Yeah. So every time they broke forward, you know, it did feel like they might
0: score. Mm. So uh, are we are we in another one of those discussions where we talk about the underlying metrics sort of being at odds with with the final outcome of the game? You know, we, yeah, we- I think this was very like the
1: Villa game, personally. I think I think there were a lot of parallels. I mean, I do have to offer a slight caveat, which is that I feel like because the consensus has sort of swung against Emery, I, I want to be kind of auspicious and make sure that we're not piling on. And it, it seems to me that the positive performances in the Europa League kind of wouldn't have been accepted as admissible evidence in defence of Emery. So I kind of feel like a not great performance in a Europa League game where we haven't played our proper team isn't the strongest evidence against him either.
0: Yeah, yeah. look, I mean, if I can't pretend or won't pretend to say that a Europa League defeat would, I'm not going to say bother me, you know what I mean, but... But I've been quite clear about what I thought we should do in the Europa League, and that's play kids, and and with mm. that comes the the inherent risk that that maybe your performances aren't going to be as um, convincing as you might like. The weird thing is, is that the games that have been most enjoyable this season, the two games that have, that have been most enjoyable were Standard Liège and Nottingham Forest, one Europa League, one Carabao Cup, where these young players went out and played with with so much freedom and panache. And in comparison to the rest of our performances, which have been um, functional, you might say, at best, Mm. and really, really poor at worst, you know, those were the kind of the shining lights. So... It's not a case that if we'd lost that game, I was going to go absolutely crazy. But I think coming after a 1-0 defeat to Sheffield United in a week in which the manager says that he has made the team more competitive, that we're defending better, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, saying things that you know I'm not seeing, maybe you're seeing, maybe people out there listening are seeing, but I'm certainly not seeing. I think it would have just added weight to the existing frustration that was out there, if that makes sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think he knew he needed a result, and I think that told in kind of his demeanour on the touchline.
0: Yeah, I had a question here. I might as well do it now because uh, we've brought it up. It comes from Jake, who's at J Ampleford, and he says, Unai, normally a bundle of energy. Do you think his lack of celebration was something to note, maybe a realisation that Pepe saved his bacon, or maybe he senses the disdain from the crowd? I mean, the 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 reaction to the winning goal. He's sitting in his chair on the dugout and it goes in and there's sort of like barely an acknowledgement that the goal has gone in. I mean, what did you make of that? For me, I guess, if I was being absolutely objective about it, I would say it's a manager who knew his team got out of jail against a team they would be widely expected to beat and it would be kind of... um, it would be a bit much to go racing up and down the touchline to celebrate that goal in the context of that game. Maybe. I mean, I don't
1: think it's stopped him in the past. I, I'm trying to remember now, but I feel like in the Europa League games or Carabao Cup games, he has been quite animated previously. I yeah. think that something that, you know, it's not always clear what Henry's trying to get across, but something that he does talk about often is uh, wanting to feel like a sense of connection with the fans. And he's like, when we play at home, it's important that we we manufacture that connection, you know? Mm. And I think that uh, this is complete speculation, but to me it looked like someone who was probably a bit... Um, you know, there were reports at halftime of people shouting, you know, fuck off Emery or, or whatever. Oh, really? Yeah. And, uh, a lot yeah, of people were uh, saying
0: to me they were singing the Mesut Ozil song at halftime as well.
1: Yeah. And I, I also think that he's probably aware of, of some of the talk that's gone on around the Ozil and his selection or lack thereof last night before the game. And it just seemed to me like someone who I'm not going to say, I don't mean sulking, but maybe was a little bit um, hurt and inhibited because he was like well that connection that i always talk about it's not really there at the moment and mm. I, you know that would be human that would be human but yeah. i also think he knew he knew that he needed a result i don't think anything that could have happened against victoria would have led to his immediate dismissal to be honest with you but i think that had he failed to win it just would have ramped up the pressure even more for Sunday, and maybe yeah. the case where anything less than a win there could become really problematic
0: for him. Yeah, I mean, I think we're still in that. I think we're still in that territory, to be honest, where anything less than a win against Palace will not go down well at all. No, that's uh, absolutely true. You know, so, you know, it, it was important to win. You know, I have to say, um, I think it was probably him just being a bit sensible because I think if he had reacted to that goal, you know, I don't think anyone would have had a problem if he'd stood up and given it two fists or whatever. I don't think anyone really would have had any issue with that. Why wouldn't you? You're a manager. Your team has just won a game at the death. Your substitution when you threw Pepe on has been Mm. kind of the game changer, even if it was through his own individual brilliance. But is that not why you put on a player? Because you think he's got some quality to do something in the game maybe you're right, he is a bit inhibited, or maybe it was a bit of like, well, you know, not quite a fuck you, but also, well, you know, I don't know quite how I'm explaining this. Um Maybe
1: it also as well, I mean, we're we're second-guessing someone's intentions in the moment, so it is kind of, uh, you know, very speculative, like I say, but maybe he doesn't want to show desperation. You know, he doesn't want to seem like a man who's like, phew, I just saved my job. Yeah. Uh, uh, And I think that's kind of fair enough. He's, he's, He's also got to think about not just what the fans perceive and what the cameras perceive, but what his his bosses perceive. The, the point about the substitution is interesting because I think if this was early on in Emery's reign, if this was this time a year ago, I will hold my hands up and say what we would have been saying is, well, he, got, he was decisive. He made two half-time changes. He turned the game around. He brought Pepe on. He scored two goals. Wow, what an impact he had mm. on the match. But a year on from that, and seeing that, you know, those kind of rescues are still necessary, it shifts the perspective to be more about, well, look at how he sets up the team yeah. in the first place, you know?
0: True, true. Because we've got sort of a, a weight of evidence of of this happening um, before. Yeah. Um, so look, drawing a line under this game, a win, it, it puts us on nine points, I think, if we, you know, to even take a draw um, against... Uh, Victorian next week. Uh, mm-hmm. What group are we in? I think that would be. Isn't enough.
1: that the crazy game that's on at like yeah, f- tea time ten to four
0: next Wednesday, right. or is it the Wednesday <laughs> after? I can't quite. No, it's, it's the
1: Wednesday after because we've got after. the League Cup against yeah. Liverpool on Wednesday.
0: Europa League groups. I'm just going through them here. Um, no, so we're not guaranteed to win the group with a draw. So if we go to Victoria and win that will put us on 12 points. Eintracht Frankfurt are on 6, Standard Liège on 3. So if Standard Liège beat Eintracht Frankfurt and we beat um Victoria chances are we top the groups. So yeah. And we've still got a home game against Frankfurt to yeah. come as well. Yeah. So let's talk about the thing that we've we've got to talk about um ordinarily I say ordinarily, but over the last few weeks, Mesut Ozil has not been in the Arsenal squad, and his omission yeah. last night maybe isn't a big surprise at all, given what's happened in, in the last couple of weeks. But I think in the context of what's gone on uh, on social media on the la- in the last few days, we, we have to talk about this. I'm just going to play a clip from Unai Emery's press conference last night and this is him being asked about the the ozil situation uh, here it is can you say too why miss ozil didn't make the squad tonight i, I think it's, tonight is not the, the day to for the speaker uh, about that does he have a future ozil uh, i prefer to speak about the match uh, really about the player the they play it the and, the problem, right? yes but he is not in the
1: in the squad and, and uh, and this is uh, tonight. This is that is the
0: decision, and, and we are going now to to work for Sunday. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I thought here those here we go again. I thought those comments were quite interesting, particularly in the uh, in the wake of the David Ornstein interview with with Ozil. And I think there was a question that specifically said, "Do you worry or do you fear that you might not get picked again?" And he said. Mm-hmm. No, I you know, I don't think that's the case. The question directly to Emery last night about uh, Ozil, does he have a future? You know, the easy answer there is yes, of course he has a future if he keeps working hard, blah blah blah. You know, that kind of that kind of manager yeah. swatting away. Um, but just in What's case you- yeah, go on. Go just on. just in case people haven't seen uh, and don't follow Mesut Ozil on social media. Yeah. I know people can sometimes dismiss social media as this sort of thing that isn't really representative of real life. But, you know, we have to take this into account here. We have Ozil on Wednesday, the day before the game, posting a picture from training. He's kind of got this uh, eyes closed, ha-ha-ha smile on his face, sort of like... um. Almost like a Bond villain who's just delivered his verdict to James Bond before he, you know, yeah. slices him in two with the lasers. Like, <laughs> I expect you to die, Mister Emery. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of exactly what it's like. But, yeah. but, but there you have it. You have that. But we we can't be blind to the fact that um, on his Instagram or on his Twitter or whatever, basically all the Arsenal squad liked that photo. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. a reality that we have to deal with. It could be just a case that they're liking a photo by their mate, but, you know, there it is. Mm-hmm. It's it's out there. Um, Fifteen minutes before kickoff last night, he posts another picture uh, this time of himself, he's not looking in any way maniacal. He's there with, uh, with Robert Perez. And who wouldn't want to take a picture with Robert Perez if they could get one? Not even Mesut Ozil is immune to the dreamy charms of, of Bobby. Um, and he says, trained with this AFC legend this morning. Strong arm emoji. Love emoji. Always a pleasure to see you, my bro. Best of luck for the match now from both of us. And that's directed at Arsenal. And <laughs> look... It feels like this thing is getting personal. There was some doubt in my mind when I saw the "you make me laugh" um, picture. I was, I was like, is he really talking about Unai Emery here? Is that what he's talking about? Maybe he's, maybe it's an in joke we don't get, and then he's left out of the squad again. We get those comments from Emery, and it's clear that that's that's what it's about.
1: Yeah, and I mean, an aspects that you. Didn't mention there is that Arsenal are obliged to hold open training before Europa League games, and I don't know if you saw the clip oh, of him yeah. talking to Mesut Özil, and it wasn't a friendly conversation. It was uh, awkward, I think wasn't that much it? was clear. It was yeah. awkward. Yeah, they were disagreeing on something, uh, and whether or not it was to do with Özil being in the squad or not, you know, again, we'd be guessing, but it, it does contribute to this to this theory. I, I mean, I think my perspective is slightly different. Because I I look at it and I see an incredibly slick piece of PR operation. Yeah yeah, 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 And I look at Emery and think his PR is terrible. Like in a battle of communication and PR with fans, there's only one winner there. I,
0: uh, I literally just said that to somebody this morning. I said, if this turns into a PR war, I, I said PR, not PR. Um, oh, wow. If it turns I'm into, r- it's a- <laughs> rubbing off on you. If it turns into a public relations uh, exercise, yes, there's only one. There's only one winner because mm. one has the ability and the um, money to pay for a highly paid communications team, and to absolutely craft their message to be exactly what they want it to be. And the other is a guy who, with the best will in the world, finds it difficult to talk about basic things like defending or football mm. um, in general. You know, he, he doesn't sound like a coherent guy, Unai Emery. So if it's a PR, PR war, which it might well be, it's... um. It's only going to work in, in Ozil's, Ozil's favour. I think you made a good point to me last night when we were talking about this on WhatsApp, that it might be even more beneficial to Emery to play him. And if he doesn't <laughs> perform, then it sort of adds or lends weight to, to Emery's stance on this. But what we're seeing is a team that's absolutely devoid of creativity in the centre of the pitch. There's no question about that. You know, Joe Willock and Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Smith-Rowe and Lucas Torreira, whoever the hell was playing as our ostensible number 10 last night, or they took it in turns. I don't know what's going on with that. You know, there is this issue with that area of the pitch. And as long as that exists, and as long as you're leaving Ozil out, it's like he's like an injured player. The longer he's out, the better he is.
1: Yeah, I spoke to someone who... Has you know a close connection with the club yesterday about this situation, and they said, "Well, if Emery plays Özil in an away game, a lot of the calls to start him will probably quieten down." Uh, you know, yeah. That's there is a there is a case that he's almost hurting himself, Emery, by not picking him, um, because the groundswell of support around Özil and what he might contribute to the Arsenal team grows. Weekly, with mm. every week that Emery doesn't get that kind of performance. I mean, th- I think the other side of that coin, though, is what if he plays him against Victoria at home in the Europa League, quite a cushy fixture, a bit like Nottingham Forest against home. Ozil plays well, mm. sets up three goals. Then Emery will feel like, oh, fucking hell, I've got to play in the Premier League. Oh, now. no, he,
0: imagine I- having to play a player who's capable of, you know, adding something to your team. You know, I, I, I yeah. do see your point. I do see your point. But he's clearly but
1: like, decided that he doesn't want to do that. Yeah. You know
0: what I mean? And look, I think most people, whether they're a fan of Mesut Ozil or not a fan of Mesut Ozil, could still compartmentalise that performance and say, well, it was the Europa League at home against yeah. a, a slightly As weak... As did the
1: Forest game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: in In which he was fine. I mean, I don't think he was particularly brilliant in the Forest game. But, you know, you couldn't say... Ozil playing well against Victoria is all the evidence you need that he should be starting week in, week out, right? I, I don't think that's, I don't think that's true. But maybe that is something that that Emery is afraid of. I mean, do you do you think this is now either a point of principle with Emery or something personal? Because it feels to me like this is now getting personal between the two. You know, if, if, if Ozil is playing this kind of social media game, which he and his people know very well how to play, and I'm not saying he doesn't have a point, you know, I'm not suggesting that either. No. It's just that from Arsenal's perspective, for this thing to be bubbling on, where are we now? Like, when did it first start to surface last year with, with Emery and Ozil? Probably oh, around September. Yeah, the first couple of months of the season. The West Ham game, I think it might have been, which could have been maybe the second game of the season. I can't remember. Anyway, really early on. Was
1: he brought off against Chelsea? Was that in our second match? Was that it? Or he he didn't start in that game? Let me have a look here. I'll just go back. He Um, lost to Chelsea
0: 2-1, was it, Henry? 3-2. 3-2. He came off in the 68th minute against Chelsea. Our next game was West Ham at home, which we won 3-1 and Ozil wasn't in the squad. And the story was that there was a bust up in training. And that was the 25th of August, 2018. And here we are over 12 months later and it's still festering away. So from an Arsenal point of view, it is really, really unhealthy to have the head coach and the star player and the most expensive player behaving in this way it just can't continue it just can't it's just, it's absurd for this to be a talking point every single week it's it's someone has to sort it out raul well, edu yeah. someone has to sort this out and maybe this is maybe this is how they're sorting it out they're just going to uh, leave ozil I, 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 out of the that team that
1: seems to be right doesn't it i mean I don't believe that Raoul and Edu are sitting there going, this is not, like, this is not what we want. We really feel Ozil should be in the team. I, I just, I think there has to be, it's such a strong stance now that there has to be a United front on it. Don't you
0: think? Well, it's either that or it's, you know, it's a back me or sack me kind of stance yeah. from Emery.
1: Yeah. And it could be the hill that he, he dies on. Yeah. Um, I mean, also, we, it has to be sorted out, and I, I agree. I mean, I am absolutely sick to the back teeth of it, to be honest with you. But I have a little bit of sympathy with the club in that you know they they sat down with Özil in January transfer window, two transfer windows ago, and said, "Well, the best thing for you, if you want to play, is to is to move." You mm. know, people say what what evidence is there that Mesut Özil is demotivated? The evidence is. He's still at Arsenal. If he wants to play football, he should have gone.
0: Yeah, but, you know, the flip side of that is him saying I'm committed to Arsenal. I signed a contract. This is where I want to be. I want to play football. I want to be given the chance to to play football and... and I know there are people out there right now screaming, saying he's had all the chances because he's been here since 2013, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not saying um, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Yeah. That's the other but side of that coin.
1: That you want in- your footballers to want to play. Like uh, 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 most footballers, if they're not in the team, they're like, well, I want to play. Yeah, I go and I get myself a new club. So to me, the fact that he doesn't have any desire to do that and he makes it clear in every interview... That That's as worrying to me as anything
0: else. Yeah, I think that's fair.
1: Um, I, I, yeah, so uh, it, it's a really toxic situation. And I honestly think that if you ask me now, do you've got to keep Ozil or Emery? I, I'm like, can I have neither? Genuinely, can I have <laughs> neither? Like, can we just wipe the slate clean is what I would really like. Because, you know, when Emery came in, and even as, as, as recently as May, when the Europa League final happened um, and Ozil was hauled off, I think most fans, even fans who really love what Mesut Ozil's done as a player, were ready to be like, OK, we're moving on from this now. You know, th- that uh, that's consigned to the past. That player's not part of the future of this club. I think a lot of fans were ready for that. Mm. And the problem is that Emery hasn't produced... A convincing alternative. If Emery was playing good football and winning games, we wouldn't be talking
0: about this. But he's not. No, he's not. I mean, that's part of the problem, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And Ozil, I think, if I'm honest, I think he's become a bit of a symbol of what we don't have. You know, I feel like a lot of the same people who say, I'm sure we won't get better when the fullbacks come into the team kind of the same people saying, I'm sure we would be better if Meza Ozil plays. And both things are kind of unknowable. Yeah. You know? I, I, um, I, I, yeah. And, and I, I do think that even the thing of like, so let's say, yes, we've got players struggling at number 10. I completely agree. But the reason they're struggling is not because they're not Meza Ozil. It's because Emery's system and style of play doesn't suit a number 10. You know, even when Ozil plays, there was a, there were charts doing around a couple of weeks ago about how less frequently he touches the ball in Emery's teams as mm. opposed to Arsene Wenger's teams. So it's not the case that bringing Urzel into an Emery team is
0: going to fix much.
1: It really isn't.
0: So you need like, if you're going to bring him into the team, it needs to be in a not Emery team.
1: Yeah, that's. I think that is a
0: reasonable thing to say. That's that's the, his that's his only chance of salvation or redemption at Arsenal.
1: Yeah, I mean the caveat again that I would offer, I sound like Sid Lowe keep saying caveat, but is that I do find it curious that we're going, we've got a problem at number 10, we've got to solve number 10 at a time in football where the best teams don't have a number 10. Juan Mata came out the other day and said the number 10 as we knew it is dead. And I'm inclined to agree with him. If I look at Liverpool, if I look at Man City... There's no number 10s, really, in those teams. Mm-hmm. They've got number 8s and they've got centre-forwards who connect.
0: And Ozil is a classic, classic number 10.
1: Yeah. So so I'm not saying that, of course, what Emery's doing isn't better. So maybe you are better just reverting. But I'm not sure that the end goal of where we want to be for Arsenal involves Ozil either. So I, I, I genuinely mean it when I say I honestly think the best thing would, would be for both to go. That's really my opinion. Yeah. Um. And and maybe that's, uh, I have to say, bound up in that is probably a lot of frustration at how many times we've had to talk about this and how sort of just unpleasant and needless it is. And I agree, it does feel like a personal issue between player and coach at this point. It does feel like that. Yeah. And what's frustrating as well is that we have, we don't have the insight Like we can't, we don't, we can see a footage of two men talking to each other and it not going well, but we don't know what's said. And when it gets to the point where Unai is, is you know, back playing a straight back with, it's not the time to talk about that. Mm. It becomes impenetrable to us, really, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, look, and for all, go on. Sorry, just for all Meza Erzl's, I thought was interesting and revelatory. To a certain extent, he said exactly what you would expect him to say, you know? Mm. Uh, I, he's not going to go, yeah. Yeah, I haven't been turning up for training. (laughs) (laughs) So I I don't... It's really hard at this point. And I... I, Like, I'm not stupid as well. Like I've made it clear. I think Arsenal, as a club, need to move on from Mesut Ozil. That's my my personal stance. Do I think Mesut Ozil uh, would not improve the team that played yesterday in the Europa League? No, I, I don't think that. Of course, like, you know, of course... Mesut Ozil is a better footballer than some of those other footballers we've got
0: out there. Yeah. Um, Look, the thing about it is he's 31. Yeah. And, you know, he's not a man for the for the future, really. Unai Emery, I don't think is the right man for Arsenal. My position on this hasn't changed since we lost 1-0 to... to Sheffield United and particularly the Watford game, you know, my mind is is made up on that. I think it's um you know, as a club we need to to find a different direction. Mm. So, it's whether or not there is the the willingness at a club level to to do something about these things and and quite what I mean, it feels like I wonder what they would do, you know, would they hold out some hope that a new coach could come in and just get another six months, nine months out of Ozil in certain games that could that could make us better? I, d- I don't know. It's... Um,
1: yeah, it's possible. I mean, I'll tell you this. It looks easier to get rid of Emery than it looks to get rid of Erzil. Yes. I think he's mm. really dug his heels in and said, I- I'm going to stay. And he's not, you know, he's not motivated to move for any particular reason. Mm. Um, and you know you can't force him to you, it, to sack Meza Ozil given what we're paying him a week <laughs> would be but, would cripple the club yeah but you can't, you can't
0: you can't do it you don't do that football clubs don't do that they, the only way you can sack somebody is for gross misconduct and even that well, sorry let's is, say to pay him off then, yeah him but off. I mean nobody's you don't do that because what you've got I suppose is is some kind of an asset you know whether it's completely depreciated or, or otherwise, he is some kind of an asset. But, but I think he's not, he's not an asset if he's not playing, is it? No, well the that's thing. the this is the whole thing. This is the whole yeah. thing. How do you generate or 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 tell anyone there's there's value left in this guy if you don't play him either. So are they trying to freeze him out and force his hand? It doesn't feel to me like Ozil is in the kind of mood, or him and his um, camper in the sort of mood where he would allow himself to be frozen out to the point where he's going to say, "Oh fuck it, this is too much. I'm going to go." It will be just. It feels a bit like he'll just go, well, "Yeah, fuck you. Pay me. Just keep paying me because I, you know, the longer it goes on that he's out of the team." and we don't play good football or we lurch from one bad result to another, the more he seems like a credible idea to make things better, which of he course. might well do. He, he, might, he well might well do. Well do. He,
1: he might well do. And I, I completely get that. You know, he is he is the icon of the alternative to Emery. Mm. Um, I think if you replaced Emery tomorrow... I think it's very possible that the new manager you hired might go i'm not sure Ezel well. is the guy i'm going to build my team around i think it, but as long as they did it in a way that was clear and had a plan and I guess was didn't make your eyes bleed watching it, I think most <laughs> fans would be reasonably cool with that yeah. that of course there's like a mad you know, minority fans who are like Urzel over everything else. But that is not most Arsenal fans. Most Arsenal fans just want the team to be good, you know? Yeah. And if that's got Urzel in it, great. And if it hasn't, well, so be it. But as long as we're good, then that's fine. But we're not good at the moment. So I, I have sympathy. I would pick Urzel in a lot of home games. For all I think he's not the man for the future, and I would have tried everything to get rid of him, probably, to get him off the wage bill. Now that he's on the wage bill, I wouldn't be I would only be freezing him out if I had any hope that it would make him leave, but nothing that has happened in the last eighteen months makes me think that
0: mm. would, you on, would you pick him on would you pick him on Sunday against palace
1: I don't know if I would against palace actually, but I would have against Victoria let's put it like that uh, and uh, palace I think. Mm. No, I think I wouldn't. I think I would go with the front three of Pepe and Aubameyang and Saka and then a midfield three behind. But Mm. would you pick him?
0: I don't know that he's match fit enough. I mean, that becomes the problem at this stage now. Yeah, it's self-perpetuating. It's it's a problem. Would I have him on the bench? Absolutely. If we needed a goal and we needed something to, to bring creativity to midfield, absolutely I would. And I feel... Maybe like some of the players would like him to play as well, because oh. I I wonder what the likes of, you know, when Pepe came, did he think he was going to be playing with Mesut Ozil? Did he think, you know, same with Aubameyang, same with Lacazette? You know, they know what quality he has when he's, when he's playing, you know, but again, we're going around in circles on this. I don't uh, know I- what the solution is.
1: No and and you know I spoke about Lacazette seeming frustrated in the game yesterday maybe that was part of it to be honest I mean you know, yeah. you want to play with a player who's going to give you chances you look at how much service Aubameyang gets at the moment he, he would like more of that he would probably like mm. Meza Izol there it, it is um I actually think it's quite sort of sad really because you know for the last couple of years Izol has been predominantly sat on his ass and whatever you might think of him he's a very good footballer and I would like you know he is 31 he's in the last phase of his career it would be a shame if that's spent not really playing yeah be that at Arsenal or elsewhere you know I, I sort of think I sort of wish he wanted to play more enough to move uh, and I sort of wish that the relationship with the coach at Arsenal wasn't so bad that it sort of seemed that he just couldn't play any game whatsoever. Yeah. Um it is a it is really unfortunate and it is a shadow over our season. And another thing about this, just I know we've been round around the houses, but I think if we are in the kind of final phase, or certainly the final season, I think most people would agree of you know Emery's management at the club. I think when people look at where it went wrong. I do think a lot of the time they will look back to the first season as much as anything else. And and one of the ways in which I feel that he lost my faith is when he came in and he had this conviction, it seemed, of, well, I've tried Erzl, he's not responded to the plan. Um, I'm I'm not going to have him in the team. For me, he kind of folded on that a little bit in sort of desperation
0: but isn't that isn't that what he does it's like oh we're yeah, gonna yeah. we're gonna play it out from the back we're gonna play it out from the back uh oh we're not very good at that stop 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 it you is
1: know. and I think that the, the, for me that's just like one of the most prominent mm. examples of it and I think it actually worked I mean bringing him in and bringing Ramsey in improved the team and actually propelled us to the brink of that Champions League qualification before we stuffed it up um, so I think it was like, oh, well, maybe that's good management from Emery. You know, he kind of, he he motivated those players in those circumstances. But to me, it was a guy mm. who had come in with an idea that I was ready to believe in and ready to be like, OK, this is new, this is different, this is a plan, this is progression. But then when trouble came, had to find a shortcut and had to find an alternative. And at that point, I think the idea of Emery as someone with a philosophy kind of disappears. Yeah, your strong um, moral stance yeah. makes way for expedience. And, and that has continued with or you know, in terms of naming him one of the five captains mm. this season or taking him off the Europa League final but then talking in pre-season about how he's a big part of the plans. And this kind of flip-flopping uh, on this issue is emblematic of how Emery has flip-flopped on a, a number of big issues. Yeah. And, and, you know, even recently, saying a week ago... Ozil's training well. You know, it's like, well, what are we supposed to make of that? I mean, does it mean something else has gone on since then? Was that just bullshit? Is that correct? But Emery's crazy? I mean, it's really, really hard to interpret.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's probably enough about that, isn't it? It probably is. But I think it's one of those things. (laughs) It it does feed into people's perception of Emery as well. that, That even if he did have a strong stance on what his objection was to Ozil, he sort of flip-flopped on it. And it's not convincing. And after that, people sort of lose trust. If, if you go, you know, between A and B, and then you go to C, and then you're back to A again, you know, what are, what think, are people supposed to think?
1: I think he realises that now and he's digging in, but he's digging in at a time where it's hurting him. Do you know what I mean? Like, dig
0: up Unai. Dig up.
1: Yeah. I mean honestly, he. I think that he's he recognises almost that he's flip flops and he's like, yeah. I can't be doing that anymore. This is it. This is my decision. And unfortunately, it's come at a time where results and performances are eluding him, and so it looks it looks ugly for him. Uh, boy, oh yeah. boy! But this isn't the last time we've talked about it. As much as I'd love to believe it, it of course it's not.
0: No, it and won't
1: I be. was asked yesterday, Will Meza Erzl play for Arsenal again. And I absolutely think he will. That's my opinion. So there you go.
0: Okay. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Time we will, will see. Tell. We'll see on Sunday. We'll see He'll on be Sunday.
1: Captain. <laughs> He'll be captain.
0: <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, look, we better leave it there. That is part one. Um, nearly an hour. 59 minutes and 50 seconds. Let's see if we can keep it up to f- oh, the full hour. Okay, here we go. Part two's coming up right after this. Right after this. Welcome back to the ArsCast Extra. This is part two where we answer questions, not about Messedozil, I promise, that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnarblog and at Arsblog. Also on the Arsblog Facebook page, Facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. And oh yeah, Mark Zuckerberg is a cunt, by the way. I just watched him, as I mentioned, Facebook. I watched him this week. <laughs> and I think it's I think it's just right to say, A, he's a cunt. B uh, the way that he operates his business is particularly cunty. And C, how can can you be one of the world's richest men and have a haircut like that? What the fuck is going on with that? Fuck that guy. Also on the uh, Discord server, which you get access to if you're an ArsBlog member on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Arseblog. You can sign up for a five or a month. You get access to that and lots of other stuff besides. Would you like to go first or will I?
1: You go first, Andrew.
0: Why okay. Not. Very good. Okay. I should be prepared for this, shouldn't I? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a test. It was a test. Well done. You caught me out. I'm useless. This one comes from Mulo, who's at Mulo 1. And he says, does this game now prove to the believers once and for all that the return of tyranny and Ballerun will not suddenly solve all our issues?
1: <laughs> um, interesting one. I don't know. Did what you see of Saw of Tierney and Bellerin last night make you think they should have played on Monday or were correct to not play on Monday?
0: That's a good question. I thought they took some time to get into the game. But Mm. once they got into the game, my opinion that they should be starting in the Premier League is is yes they should be because we need them to be in the Premier League I, I've said this and you've said this I don't think they're going to be transformational in any way I think they will make us better because they are better players than the ones we've got in those positions right now but I don't think all of a sudden Tierney and Bellerin are going to turn this team into Brazil 1970 or anything like that I guess there are fitness issues particularly with Bellerin, you don't want to over stress him after coming back from a cruciate. The tyranny thing we talked about on Tuesday in the Irish Cast Extra, I'm not sure why he couldn't have played uh, against Sheffield United. Um, I think it would have been better for us and better for him if he had, because now we're locked into this, this sort of uh, schedule, aren't we? Where because we played on Thursday, they're unlikely to play on Sunday. So they're going to play on Wednesday in the Carabao Cup, which means yeah. they're probably not going to play on Saturday against Wolves. So, Feels like that. you know, we're, we're in that sort of schedule with them. Maybe that's, that's the way that they have planned this. You know, to get them to the next international break, and then introduce them in the Premier League. You know, having let them uh, get more minutes, etc., etc., in the in the cups and in the the Europa League. Maybe that's the plan. Maybe that's the sensible plan, given that you know they've been injured. Mm.
1: So maybe it is sensible. Yeah. I, I can see though, as fans, why we're a bit frustrated and want to see them in the team. Yeah, Tierney, I was struck off the match. He did say something like, "Oh, this is my." third game in six months or something like it. And you're like, OK, well, you know, I suppose it is, you know, it's not like he played a vast amount of under-23 football and then stepped up to the senior team. But I can't wait for them to get in there because, you know, while I agree they're not going to transform the team, they are going to add a lot. There were a couple of moments last night that made that stand out to me. One was Tierney's delivery for Martinelli's goal. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen snatch sort of clip across in like that. Um, from a deeper position. Low and hard. His, low and hard. Yes, yeah, it's not his game. He gets he gets to the ball and it goes low and hard and it feels a bit hit or miss. Tierney really can cross the ball and that is a weapon we don't really have in this team. Uh, the other moment actually was, I think it was just in the build-up to Martinelli's shot in the second half that was saved. It was Mustafi actually who played a what, through ball. What
0: a good pass that was, yeah.
1: A really good pass from Mustafi that Bellerin raced onto and pulled it back and I just thought, God love Callum Chambers. He's never going to be able to do that. And having that capacity in the right back position will be beneficial. So, I mean, I saw after the match, Martin Kerr was like, you know, obviously Tierney had cramp at the end, so he's not going to play Sunday. And Van Persie was like, cramp goes in two, ga- two days. He could play Sunday if he has to. And it, But it just doesn't feel like the mm. way we're approaching it with these players, does it?
0: No. And, you know, to, to answer the question, I don't, I don't know that it, like, conclusively proves that we're not going to be amazingly um, better all of a sudden with those two in the team. I think most people would understand that that bringing in two fullbacks is not going to be the sort of catalyst for, for everything else to fall into place, particularly as we have got issues elsewhere in the pitch. And those are in midfield, which is why I'm going to ask the next question. Uh, which comes from AFC Alex, who's at Ali Basket. And he says, I read Gunnar Bloggs' comments on Torreira. Maybe you can elaborate on that. Do you want to just tell people what you were talking about with Torreira?
1: Yeah, just quickly on the fullbacks, it just struck me that both the moments I picked out were attacking moments. And I'm more confident that they will improve us as an attacking force than they will defensively. As we saw last night, You know, we conceded 17 shots from a low-map possession. But... Talking in midfield, what I was talking about was Torreira. I mean, the midfield yesterday were really, in that first half, it was a disaster, I thought, Torreira alongside Willock. They absolutely took us apart.
0: But do you think that's where, I mean, let me just go back and look at the live blog here. Um, I'm just going to bring up a a moment that that caught me. So it was 12 minutes in Mm. to the game. And Torreira was playing in the front three. He was—I mm. don't know whether they've been told, you know, you can be, you can be a bit fluid. So if the play develops in a certain way, and Maitland-Niles is there, he can slot into the Torreira position in midfield or whatever it might be. But he was definitely playing as part of the front three, and I think he was trying to press from the front, which I found very odd. And a couple of minutes later, he was back in a more, in a more. Um, normal midfield role, you might yeah. say. So it was hard to know exactly where people were playing at times. It felt what very I, muddled.
1: Yeah, what I thought it was, was a double pivot of Willock and Torreira, where either player was granted licence to break forward, sort of on the condition that they didn't both go. Uh, and ahead of that, Emil Smith-Rowe was playing as the sort of number 10. And by the way, when I was listening to the positives of the game earlier... I forgot to mention, not so much Emil Smith-Rowe's performance, but I just feel like he's had so many problems with injury. Every time I see him on the pitch, that's a good thing at the moment. Um, Mm. But with Torreira, the point I made on Twitter was that I... And and where this gets tricky is we don't know what he's being instructed to do. But when I look at Torreira, I see someone who is a really good midfielder and a really brilliant tackler, but I don't see someone who has a kind of nose and sense, positional sense for danger. And I I might be wrong, but, uh, you know, it might be that he's just being told you've got to push forward at all times. But he seems to me like someone who instinctively has that in him, that he gets attracted to the ball. He wants to go and make that tackle. He wants to press and close space rather than being, as he sometimes I think portrayed to be, a guy who will sit in front of the back four and close off passing lanes.
0: But is that not him being a good professional and doing what he's being asked to do by this manager? Because um, earlier in the week, I found a piece that I wrote last November about Torreira and I sort of compared him to Fabregas, not in the sense that they were the same kind of player or, or, or in any way um, quality-wise the same. But my point mm. was that when I see Torreira in the team, I feel a kind of assurance w- with our midfield that I hadn't felt for for quite a while. And um, I think we've kind of forgotten how good he was in that period of the season when he'd been eased back in from the World Cup and was starting to establish himself in a deep-lying midfield position and he was winning tackles and he was intercepting and he was starting play and he was using the ball really well. And I, I sort of, I, in in the wider context of what's happening at Arsenal right now um, under Unai Emery's management, I kind of wonder if... Issues that the the Emery might have with Torreira in terms of the style of player and the size of player that he is have have had an impact on him. Not to mention the fact that Emery, in general, finds it very difficult to to get consistency from from any of his players. Not any, but from most of his players, there's an inconsistency in how they perform. Mm. Because uh, at the heart of it, there's an inconsistency in in how we play. What did you make of Emery's comment? about when he was talking about giving time to, to Pepe, he cited Fabinho at Liverpool as the example of somebody who needed time to settle in and now he was amazing. And then he said, yeah, he's a player that I wanted at PSG and we talked about uh, he was a player that I wanted at Arsenal. And it just struck mm. me as a little bit, um, not quite a silly thing to say, but maybe not the cleverest thing to say when you've got a player like Lucas Torreira who isn't being used properly, who fans want to see in the team, who many of us would look at and say, if you're trying to uh, concoct a midfield that actually works at Arsenal with the players that we have, using him and using Guendouzi perhaps as your pivot or even... Torreira at the base and you've got two players ahead seems like common sense to me because how much more evidence do you need that with Xhaka it's it's often a problem or or we struggle to 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 do what we want to do with the ball in midfield when Xhaka is there he is a common denominator is I use Torreira I just thought it was a little bit in not indiscreet but just not not smart
1: Yeah, I think it probably wasn't the smartest thing to say, but I think it tells you, I suppose, about some of Emery's concerns on Torreira. I think the thing with Torreira is, I I mean, look, memory can be faulty. And so I hold my hands up here. Like I know he played predominantly as a really deep midfielder in Italy. And I know he's played that role a lot with Uruguay. Um, With Arsenal, it's not something I massively recall him being very sort of disciplined about personally and when i think of like what were his best moments in the first half of last season funnily enough the ones that spring to mind are a bicycle kick in the six yard box and a bomb run against liverpool where he hit the bar from like just the edge of the area like i think he's at his best for me personally when he has a bit more license to kind of be box to box yeah um that That's just my interpretation. And I think he's a really good tackler and someone who, who wins the ball really well. Um, but I think sometimes we make the mistake of going... Well, therefore, he's got to play in his own half. No, sure. I mean, I I agree with you. We need to do that higher up the pitch as
0: well. I think there's... Yeah, exactly. I think there is more to his game than just being, uh, you know, a defensive midfielder, a guy who wins a tackle or makes an interception and then gives it. I think certainly he is more capable on the ball than that. We've seen it. We've seen evidence of that. I just feel like, for me anyway... I remember those moments. I remember the run against Liverpool. Mm. I remember the goal that he scored. Was it against Huddersfield? I think late in the game to give us a, a 1-0 win. Really good goal. Fantastic technique. But I also remember him um, being in the right position in our midfield to pick the ball up, to intercept, to make a tackle, to get his body in the way, to win a free kick, You know, to stop the opposition making inroads into our half and into our final third. I remember a lot of that last season. And, uh, you know, as, as, um, as we look at a team whose midfield is, you know, wide open, wide open, week mm. in, week out, I just, you know, have a longing to see that again.
1: Well, I, I like I say, I would pick him and I would do it alongside uh, one of Shaka or Gendouzi, probably mm. Gendouzi. Given the way he's playing and his form, and given the problems with Shaka, yes, and I, I don't, and I, and I think in a lot of those situations, Gondouzi would be the guy dropping deep to pick up the ball for, for me. But I don't understand why we don't see that combination more. And if, and if you said to me, well, actually, Torreira's instruction is going to be that he's kind of the guy who sits deep and covers, then so be it. I'm up for seeing it. It's not the way I would orient it out of those two, yeah. but it could work. I mean, what's clear is that at the moment we play with two guys who are in these Europa League games who are sort of given license to break forward as they see fit and that isn't really working.
0: No. No. I mean I think I think Clive made the point on the Arsenal Vision podcast that you, in in Shaka and Gendouzi, you've got two guys who are basically the same in terms of the way that yeah. they want to play. So yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Play one Pick of them. One. and yeah. yeah, play one of them. And the one who deserves to be in the team right now, based on what he's done so far this season, is Gendouzi. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think the, the person who deserves to be alongside him is Torreira. Yeah. But I do think that it's not just a case of personnel, is it? Like, whatever instructions Emery is giving Ahmed Field is not giving it shape, is not giving it um, any sort of <laughs> discipline. And that needs to be imposed upon it uh, you know I, it just feels a bit headless chickeny at mm. the moment and, and I don't for all I'm saying I think Torreira can be an effective player at both ends of the pitch you know in the second half he was playing as a kind of number 10 for me that's not at all like how he should be used no. I don't think no. that's right staffed uh, so there you go and similarly on Joe Willock who had a really difficult night I thought you know I, I Well, I I feel for him a bit because he's in a bit of a bad run of form. He had two slightly underwhelming performances for the under-21s. He's withdrawn at half time in two consecutive games. Uh, Okay,
0: I'm sorry to keep asking the questions, but I've got a question here. I've got two of them, actually. One from Liam Stokes, who's at LNJ Stokes, who says, Is Emery shredding his last redeeming feature as his treatment of the youngsters seems to be damaging their confidence more than bringing them on? And Mark Morrow, who's at Monty Mark, says, has Emery somehow knocked the joie de vivre out of the youngsters in order to get them uh, ready for the mind-numbing mediocrity of the first 11? They played much more like the, uh, in inverted commas, first team last night. Has he coached the free spirit out of them?
1: No, I don't think so, personally. Like, Martinelli's still Martinelli. Saka still looks like Saka to me when he comes on the field. Um... I think we were in more of a game last night than we were against, you know, Forrest or Liege. And I think two individuals had really bad, disappointing performances. And I don't take any pleasure saying that at all, but because they're two academy kids. But I thought Willock and Maitland-Niles had really difficult nights. Mm,
0: I think so too. But I wonder how much of the, the difficulties that, that they face come from being part of a midfield which is as we've just discussed all over the fucking place
1: yeah I, we, I've got more to with Joe Willock in that respect because I think he was asked to do a job yesterday that he's not particularly suited to doing at times
0: yeah and look I, again going back to going back to Emery and what he talked about in midweek and his comments about how he'd made the team more competitive and and what have you. I didn't like the way that he he cited the young players. I think we can all understand that when you play young players, there's a, you know, there is a price to pay is not necessarily the, the right way of putting it. But, you know, they're young, they're learning, they're developing, they're going to make mistakes. They find it difficult to produce on a consistent basis because that's something you learn as you become a professional footballer. I think we all understand that. I just felt there was too much emphasis from Emery on the young players as somehow being a fundamental issue into into why we're playing as badly as we're playing in the Premier League. Not least because the two best performances that we've seen so far this season have come with mostly young players on the pitch, you know, albeit in different circumstances in in, in the cup games, I I really thought there was something there was something damaging about about those comments, and I also think that when you when you haul a player off at halftime twice in a row, again, not to sort of say. The uh, the player himself is uh, immune from criticism or, or anything like that. I think you have to think about how you use young players and how you yeah. how you treat them. And I think taking a player off at halftime, while we as fans can all see the logic of it, that has an impact on a player's confidence, on his um, the way he feels about um, the way he's being used by a manager. It is slightly embarrassing to be taken off at halftime.
1: Twice in a week as well yeah. for Joe Willock. I, I agree with that. And I don't, you know, a, a lot of managers wouldn't have done that. They would have found a way to keep the player on for 60 minutes, you know, almost for his own confidence as mm. anything else. And who knows what he might have produced in the second half as well. You know, players can do that. They can turn things around in the course of a game, um, especially if their role is adjusted or shifted to something that suits them a bit better. I think... It's fair to say that Emery sounded a bit like he was slightly grasping at straws with the youngsters' comment. And I would also point out, you know, Chelsea are playing with youngsters. Manchester United, for all the money they've spent, are playing with a lot of youngsters. You know, Daniel James, Twanzebe, Greenwood, they're all getting involved. They're all getting game time. Our rivals are playing with youngsters too. And so,
0: doing it, uh, certainly in Chelsea's case, you know, I don't want to take away from some of the performances we've seen from our young players, but, but you know, Lampard is is getting... Um, is getting stuff out of those young players. And I he do is. wonder I-, I do wonder if, you know, they had a couple of bad results, would he turn around and point the finger at the fact that they have to use young players? I'm not sure. That's not sensible.
1: Yeah, and I mean, the one thing I would say is that his youngsters are a bit different. His youngsters are a bit more experienced than ours because they've made such good use of the loan market and we haven't really done that. Um, but fair, it's not really... It's not really a valid excuse. Also, it's something the cloud, the, the club, the cloud, the club should be positive and proud about. Everything's you know, in the music, cloud these days, James. Everything's in the bloody cloud. So, the halftime substitutions. Yeah, I think it was. It would have been crushing for Joe Willett to come off at halftime again. And I really, really believe that he's a special player. I think he's got some fantastic attributes to his game and I know he doesn't display them maybe as consistently as some of the other young players but that knack that he has of scoring goals is such a valuable commodity for midfield Mm. that I really believe he's worth persisting with yeah um and it wasn't a good night for him and you know that will happen with young players
0: can I make a point that that if and I think it's it seems pretty clear that the club are invested in this crop of young players because they, yeah. they made room for them in the squad um, by getting rid of Mkhitaryan and by selling Alex Iwobi. Um, I wonder if it's just another consideration that if they feel that the young players are not being used correctly or they're not being developed in the right way. Mm. whether that might just feed into, you know, the way they they look at the Emery situation.
1: Yeah, I think inevitably it would. Um, Just on the Maitland-Niles one, it's interesting. I feel like there's a bit of sentiment around and about that in some way there was something hubristic about his comments about not wanting to play right back. I think some people interpreted that as him sort of, how can I put it? Almost seeming a bit ungrateful for the opportunity, uh, and I just wondered what your perspective was on that.
0: Um, I don't think it was hubristic. Maybe a little bit too honest. Mm. Maybe a bit too straight-talking. Um, I wonder I if mean- I wonder if Ainsley Maitland-Niles felt like he could get the right coaching to make him play as well as he feels he can at right back if he would have said those things.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. He hasn't played right back, I believe. Uh, oh no, he played right back once since then in the Aston Villa game. Mm. Pretty, I think he got brought off, didn't he? No, he was sent Niles. off. Was he sent, sent off? off? Yeah. yeah, sent off. And we haven't seen him at right back since. Um, I must say, I beg to differ with Ainsley Maitland-Niles. I think, I think right back really is his best shot
0: at a career at Arsenal. Um Yeah, it's it's hard not- to see it in central midfield. It's very difficult to see it, you know, as a winger given the other options that we have. Like is he gonna get into the front three ahead of Pepe, Smith Saka. rowe Saka, Martinelli, Nelson, someone like that. Reese Nelson. I don't think he is. And I I, I do agree with you that that uh, probably, you know, back up right back. Because, you know, in terms of his playing style, in terms of his, his pace, his athleticism, mm. you know, I think he's very well suited to that role. So then... Yeah,
1: Statsbom did, uh, uh, you know, they do those, not, those charts of like players where they sort mm. of are set within a circle, you know, and it's like... This oh, the is radars. Strong. The radars, that's the one. And they, I think they did a piece about his, as compared to Hector Bellerin's and there are a lot of parallels and he, he, you know, he reads well as a right back potentially. Um, And, and, you know, Callum Chambers is kind of doing a job there, but that's all it ever feels like to me. So yes, I do think that that is his best shot, but if it's not what he wants and if he doesn't have the coaching support to make a success of it, then that only counts for so much.
0: Mm. Yeah. Look, I think it's probably his comments were born out of frustration as much as anything else because I think if he stepped back and looked at what, what's ahead of him in the positions that he wanted to play he probably wouldn't have said those things mm. so mm. anyway we'll see what happens we'll see what happens with him
1: uh, you touched on it the competitive thing Niall Mitch on the Discord says Emery said in his pre-match press conference he has made Arsenal more competitive can you justify that statement in any way because frankly it's just a ludicrous statement I think
0: We talked on the last podcast, didn't we, about how we were better in the big games last season. Mm. And I think that's potentially where you could say we we are more competitive. I did like the very many tweets that were going around in the wake of that, um, who agreed with Unai Emery. Um, They said, we are more competitive against worse teams because he's making us worse. So uh, those games become more competitive for the opposition on, on that basis. I think, you know, for me, what it was was just the... It comes back to the communication mm. and the way that he said what he said. Um what was it? You know, when I arrived, Arsenal were were one nil. Oh god, I have to find this. Bear with me here. Boom boom boom. I'll find it now one second.
1: I am not I mean I sort of see just to jump in while you look for it, that statement is kind of true almost that we, we kind of meet Every team on their own terms, so the games feel very competitive. Um, games
0: that shouldn't be competitive, yes, are. Yeah, mm.
1: yeah. and it's kind of. We- I mean, I I know people kind of hate watching Arsenal at the moment, but like I find it kind of sort of a little bit enthralling because it's sort of so finely balanced, it's on a knife edge, uh, but. It shouldn't be like that. Mm. It shouldn't be like it. it can just go either
0: way. No, he said when I when I arrived, this team needed to be more competitive. Arsenal, in their history, were winning one nil and being very competitive, but it was not enough. Then the process of being competitive and with improved creativity. When I arrived, the creativity was more or less good, but being competitive was worse. It was not enough. I think last year I started to improve being competitive, also with with some very good matches playing with creativity. We are being competitive with our creativity. Maybe we have lost a little, but we are going to recover that. I mean, it's just, it sounds like gobbledygook. That's Mm. the problem. That is, that is the problem. Um, Yeah.
1: It's an unfortunate, it's one of those things where (laughs) I think what he said and what we heard, what he intended to say and what we heard are probably slightly different, but slightly different. But, Mm. you you know, closing that gap for Emery is a problem. Uh, And communication is... I think, becoming one of his biggest weaknesses. Yeah.
0: Um, I've got a really heavy question... Oh, right. Okay. Really heavy, but I'm going to do this one first from Tristan Gooner on the Discord. He said, hey, gents, I'm getting a bit worried about the theatrics. Seems like there's a lot of overacting happening. Some of the players like Sebias, Ganduzi, Torreira all go down far too easily. Is this just individual players or something from the manager? I don't remember us being like this under Wenger and there was a stat going around that Arsenal have had more bookings for diving slash simulation than any other team since the start of last season.
1: Hmm. That's unfortunate if true. I, I think we probably kind of have been always a bit like this. I mean, we've all, we we probably just have noticed it less in ourselves. Uh, I can certainly remember certain players in the Invincibles who, you know, as much as we think of that as a very tough, strong team, who weren't averse to elements of gamesmanship when required. Um, is it particularly worse? Pfft, I think if it is, it's only it's only evident of a trend within football.
0: I'm not sure I buy the idea that Arsenal are mm. sort of worse than. Like any the Saka one the other day, you yeah, know, that exactly. was really really harsh, really yeah. harsh. And you know, if he tried to stay on his feet and and got you know bundled the ball out of play, people would have said he should have gone down. So there's a line there, isn't there, about you know what's. Um, what's acceptable and and what isn't. But at the same time, we look at someone like Harry Kane and we think, ah, fuck that guy, you know, for for what he does. Um, I'm not sure we have one player in the team who is quite as um, proficient at diving as Kane is. I mean, Ganduzi, I will say,
1: is out to win fouls a lot of the time. Uh, And it's not so much diving, but it's when he feels the contact, he will go to ground. Mm. But it's for him, it's almost just like a... It's hard to put it into words. It's just a kind of facet of his game, mm. I think. That's how he protects the ball almost, is by winning free kicks a lot of the time. Um, Lacazette, I think, can be a little bit... Uh, he sort of has a petulance in his personality that sometimes expresses itself through theatrics. Yeah. Um, but I think it's born of a competitive streak. I yeah. think, yeah, Socrates we saw the other day, didn't we? That was a <laughs> bit much. Um, what did he do? i forgot. forgotten. Uh, do you remember he sort of he got pretend he pretended he'd been hit in the face or something, or kneed in the head
0: or something? Right. It was in a home oh, game. Oh, it was it, it was the Villa game. It was the yeah. Villa game. Yeah, I remember that was that was absurd. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we've got a few who sort of
1: work yeah. referees a bit. I suppose I will concede that. Um, but I'm not sure we're throwing ourselves on the ground in the penalty box with sort of the regularity that Spurs are. I
0: think we can mm. we can content ourselves with that much. OK, here's the heavy one. I'm going to lay this on okay. you. This is actually really quite heavy. Um, Uh, It comes from good Alfie Powell and he says, this has never happened before, but I found myself feeling like a bad fan, almost wanting Vittoria to win so Emery would get the sack. I can't stand the football we're playing. Am I a bad fan? Please say no. And (laughs) and just slightly um, in line with that, Joshua Matthews. Do either of you feel that we were 10 minutes away from Emery getting sacked and did this in any way take away the enjoyment of Pepe's two moments of brilliance? Did it take away from that at all? It's a, uh, it's a really interesting question.
1: Yes, it didn't... I have to say, it didn't for me because that's I'm not in that place with Emery where I'm like, oh, you know, so desperate for him to be sacked I- immediately. But I know that I can sense that a lot of Arsenal fans did feel like that. And I think that... I don't think anything that happened last night, apart from like a 9-0 defeat, could have got Emery sacked. I don't think Pepe saved Emery's job in that 10 minutes. Um, Of course, it could have contributed to to a momentum that was working against him. Mm. Um, But no, I'm not in that place. But I do empathise with that question a lot because I will freely admit there were times in Arsene Wenger's reign where... I almost found myself how can I put it it's really difficult to put pin down I found myself almost willing for this sort of protracted uh goodbye to kind of come to a swifter conclusion I kind of found myself willing for it to be clean and quick rather than the torture it sometimes felt like yeah um so it's not to say I didn't want us to win games but um I, I can reflect on one or two moments where I thought, ah, that's probably bought in another few months, and that's probably not actually the best thing for the club. Mm. Um so I did feel that sense of conflict.
0: What about I, you? I think it's I just think it's a really interesting place for for good Alfie Powell and I'm sure other fans to be in. Because yeah. I can't ever want us to lose. Just can't do it. Not in my nature. But I'm also not blind to the fact that maybe a couple of defeats would bring about a change that I would be on board with, right? So mm-hmm. it's how you how you find the balance in that. And I think a lot of people that I talk to, like all the people that I talk to about Arsenal, my, my Arsenal friends online and offline, are more than ready for that change to happen. Mm. They really are. And I... I, I, I I really sympathize with that because the football is bad. There's no question about it. The football that we play, for the most part, is bad. We rescue games with um moments of brilliance, which is exciting. You know, something like the Villa game, really exciting. Yeah, what Pepe yeah. did last night, you know, it's a last-minute winner. Everything that I've ever... um Understood about football tells me that a last minute winner is one of the greatest things about the game. It really is. But I can understand why some fans feel the way that they do about what's going on because I guess it's about a bigger picture or a wider picture about where we're going and how we're going to get there and how soon we start that journey. So I think it's, you know, it's brave to, um, to sort of even talk about it.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think it's honest to do so. Um, I I would actually say, if you're a fan who feels like that, I would say in some ways, what happened last night was kind of the perfect result. Like for someone like you, for example, because Arsenal won, but not in a way that sort of vindicated uh, Emery particularly. Yeah, that's a fair point, actually. That's a really good point. So, you know, I don't think this is something that sort of uh, turned the tide of, of, you know, perception and support in his favour. But at the same time, we've got a win to celebrate. I mean, it you know, it came from two dead balls. It couldn't be more clearly something that's sort of not so dictated by the nature of play. So, mm. uh, yeah, I guess that's a a good thing. I had a question, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on the sort of managerial front, which came from the Discord. It was Marty on the Discord. And Marty said, uh, what were your thoughts on Jose Mourinho being at the Emirates with Don Raul yesterday to watch the game?
0: Was he actually there with Raul?
1: I, I don't... I didn't know that, but... Apparently, apparently so.
0: I've seen a lot of people um, tweet that Mourinho was at the game. He was in one of oh, the Oh, yeah, there's a picture, box. actually, of him <gasps> sat next to... Oh, no. Uh, Who? <laughs>
1: Uh Raul, it seems to be. Admittedly uh, Raul is facing away. But if you search on Twitter Mourinho Sanyi uh
0: That and uh, hang on a second, I'm just looking at that picture. And just based on what's around it, that does not look like the director's box. You're right. It does not. It's not the it's, part of the stadium that the director's box is in, which isn't to say of
1: seats. I yeah, which
0: isn't to say that, like Sanjay, can't be um, floating around. Um, but I would imagine that during the course of the ninety minutes, Raul Sanjay would be in the director's box. That's yes, that's where right. he would be. So I'm. Um, I don't think so that's, that may
1: just be a squat man with dark hair. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And we okay. don't know what he sounds like. If only we had a sound, you know, we'd, we'd know instantly if it was But Raul. that does appear
1: to be Mourinho. In, oh, it certainly is Mourinho.
0: Um, my thoughts on that are he can go fuck himself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and How would you feel if Arsenal re- sacked Emery and replaced him with Mourinho?
0: I feel like that would be an absolute... Um, I, f- I would feel like... The people who made that appointment have no understanding whatsoever of what Arsenal fans in general think about Jose Mourinho. Mm. I, Out you know, of the frying pan and into the toilet. <laughs> into the toilet is right. Yeah, no, just absolutely no, no way, no how. I, uh, you know, I'm ready for change, but that is, you know, that's not the change. That's his not name it. is coming up though, isn't it? I mean, I. It,
1: I'm not wrong about that. I am seeing his name linked. Um
0: well, he's been linked to a lot of clubs, I guess, but... Yeah,
1: but, which I find extraordinary, like that people even think it's a, a plausible thing. Yeah, no. But I guess it's because of, you know, links and super agents and that sort of business. Yeah, yeah. I don't uh, think that would be the change...
0: That's, that's fans, not going to yeah. unite the fan base. Let's, let's be very clear about that. That is not the change that is going to unite the fan base. Um, no. Shall we, on the very potent image of Mourinho going and fucking himself, <laughs> leave it there for this episode? Because we yeah, want to finish think, on a high note. It's a lot
1: for a Europa League game. It's a lot. It is but- a lot. I think let's leave it there.
0: What a club we are at this moment in time. There's just so much going on and so much to talk about. Um, As ever, thank you very much indeed uh, for being with us. Hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, Please give us a review, download, subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends, share it far and wide. We need all the listeners we can get because misery loves company and uh, you're all great company. Until the next one. What are we doing next? Oh, Monday, Crystal Palace. Yeah. Mustafi versus Zaha. Massive, uh-huh. massive game. It really is. It really is. Uh,
1: last time it went really well, didn't it? It did, so yeah. So, yeah.
0: Let's hope we can continue that positivity <laughs> when we talk on Monday in the next RS Cast Extra. Until then, folks, cheers. Bye-bye.